0: Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. My name is Sam, joined always by Andy Callineta Austin. Andy, how goes it, man? Pretty good,
1: dude. Just uh finishing up a long day of work, ready for it to be Friday.
0: Yeah, it's it's pre-Friday, as they call it. I got this this notification, this push notification on my phone for this tweet that Twitter thinks I would like. And normally I get these notifications and it's trying to suck me into the political vortex that is it's Twitter, always but... a
1: controversial political
0: tweet when i get one of those yeah or it'll just be effectively a, a clickbait. it'll be like not oh, this yeah. again and it's like i don't even follow this guy why do i care about what he's surprised about but i always click it and uh this time i, I was actually surprised it was good content it has a um mannequin that's just standing upright with a red x by where I would assume like the spleen is just above into the side of the like abdomen. And, uh, it says if a movie character gets shot here, they're required to keep it to themselves for a while
1: later oh, in the yeah. movie. They
0: have to, <laughs> they have to open their shirt or jacket revealing an alarming amount of blood followed by another character gasping. You're hurt. <laughs> <knowing> <laughs> that is the most accurate thing you've ever heard. bro. Oh my God. How many times has that been done? I've, I've probably seen no less than a hundred movies or television shows that do that. And I would say at least 10 of them have the rock in it, which is hilarious because like dude, getting
1: like gut shot, bro, like that's so fucking painful. You are going to know if someone has been
0: gut shot. Yeah. You're done though. And it's, it has become so common in movies that nobody ever survives that it shows it. And it's a way of just cueing the audience at this point, like Pav's law and a bell. It's like, okay, this character is going to die, but they're not done yet. They, yeah, they're gonna this is a
1: mortal wound,
0: but it will be slow. <laughs> Speaking of bad tropes, bad writing, we're gonna do something a little bit different today. Um, I know this is the podcast where we, we always sign on and say we talk about great stories and how they're told, and we like to try our best anyways to talk about how writing is done well and to celebrate good writing. But we're gonna do something a little bit different this episode. We're gonna be going over one of the I guess you could say one of the most famous Instances of a missed opportunity, if you will, in storytelling, and uh, maybe some things that they missed out on and how they can improve. And that is the Star Wars prequels. Um, man, they are they are something else, aren't they?
1: They are. I'll I'll start this by fully admitting that as a child, I love the shit out of these. Me too. Absolutely. Many things that I would later come to have qualms about when it came to these movies. And as I've grown older, I've, I definitely have a lot of things I can pick apart about these, but I wanted on record that like Star Wars is ultimately like for children, for like the imagination of, of young boys, you know, like that's, that's when you fall in love with Star Wars when you're me and this, these movies totally accomplished that goal. I came out of episode one convinced it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I wanted all the toys. I mean, dude, a double-sided lightsaber alone. That was like an innovation that I had just never conceived of in my mind. And it, it hit a home run with me.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually kind of previewing one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is listing out some of the things that I think the prequel does well. They kind of open up the world building a little bit more. Um, world the, awesome. first, the first trilogy obviously is groundbreaking in its world building. But I feel like the prequels really open up the galaxy and all the different People types and technology and things, and it really shows you more than just the two or three planets that we get to see in the pre in the uh, re- the original trilogy. The other thing that I wrote down was really cool: is the Naboo fighters, the yellow fighters with the uh, the jets coming out of the back and the super tail. Cool. Uh, all super of the cool. Naboo
1: like architecture was super tight. Yeah, it's like
0: Lake Como, Italy type vibe.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they had a lot of good stuff going. I loved a lot of the visuals. Um, Man, there's just I'm sure we'll get into all of it, but I say the world building, the concept of there being thousands of Jedi Knights was like so cool to people. Like what were they like? And the Jedi Temple looks awesome, Coruscant looks awesome. But I do feel like right off the bat in these movies, like the level of granularity we get into is already too much. Like did people want to yeah. know about the Galactic Republic absolutely? Did people want to see a trade envoy have a like economic discussion around her like no no they did not like the the setting of the uh entire conflict of the original films being based around like a trade dispute already makes it to where like i think a lot of people were like oh man dude this is way more than i bargained for (laughs) i did not want to get into that
0: (laughs) yeah i mean the first line of the scroll effectively is like there's a trade dispute and there's an embargo (laughs) and it's like okay okay, let's see how let's see how action-packed which you know what
1: that sounds like it's a bad first line, but it's certainly a lot better than Palpatine is back exclamation point, which does appear in one of the later films. And I'll say that uh, again. I, I forgot to say that these movies kind of have undergone this weird roller coaster ride where like when they came out, they were very popular. People liked them. And then as time went on, people were like, actually these suck. And then over time, like I guess the nostalgia effect, people kind of looking back on their childhood, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi's character and just looked back on so fondly he's heavily memed people love him and then when the new Star Wars sequels came out especially once we got to the end of that run I personally look back on these being like you know what George people may be shit on you too too much these could have been much worse like significantly worse
0: yeah if I were to generalize the, the sins of the prequels versus the Disney trilogy I would say that the prequels are have some of the worst dialogue. Sure. The acting and the acting, in particularly, I, I would almost put this defeat of the directing. It's almost just like everything is super flat, which makes Jar Jar Binks even look more ridiculous. Everybody's line delivery is crazy flat. There's just no emotion. Um, is it fair to say the,
1: that these movies get better though as the trilogy goes on? Like, I think Revenge of the Sith is pretty strong.
0: Yeah, I'll, let me. Revenge I'll, I'll get Sith. to that. Uh, yeah. The, Characters and the character web Is a total mess particularly that there's no Real protagonist which I'm sure we'll get into that Obviously Anakin's arc being Super rushed whereas I think the The Disney Sequel and I can't speak to all Of it because I haven't watched the last one I thought That the last Jedi was so bad I was like I'm I'm Never gonna watch the third oh dude I'm telling you
1: You go you go see that you go see That movie that last one and you will Think that the last Jedi is like Pretty fucking
0: okay I'm telling you yeah that's what i've heard from what i've seen those movies are a, a hot mess of a plot but there's at least directing the actors happening the actors are putting on a, a performance from a emotional perspective and they're they're trying to play a character that is going through real stakes which re, re, when, going back and watching these prequels Man, there will be like these huge heavy action scenes or they'll be like we got to get out of here and then they'll just like flat face walk across the room and stuff and just it's um, so I'm sure again, I'm sure we'll get into that but
1: Yeah, and I and I'll say this about the sequels too. I think the actors and everyone involved in those movies really suffered from the fact that you had two different directors who seemingly had zero respect for each other's work and decided to just erase <laughs> the other one's work. So like Abrams did the first one then Abrams was like, yeah, no, I'm doing my own thing again. And so you end up with this entire story. It makes no sense. Yeah,
0: it's a total mess. So let's get started. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about each film, kind of give a, an overview of what happens as we always do and kind of just nitpick at it. Normally we like to talk about what what I think it does well, but let's take some time to really just say why maybe some of these things don't work. And then we'll loop back around and talk about um, what, what we would have done different. Now, a disclaimer, real quick. We've talked about this is going to be a two part episode. This is going to be a pretty lengthy discussion about each movie as well as what we do differently. We're going to break this up and again into two parts. So it will definitely, we'll, we'll definitely take the time to dissect each film as they come along. So starting with The Phantom Menace, um, can I just say this real quick? This is a hot take. I think that if I were to completely redo the trilogy, um, I think you could totally do away with this entire movie.
1: Now, when I, so Cassie, when I, Cassie and I started dating, she had never seen Star Wars before. And I had her watch the movies. Now, again, there were no sequels yet, right? So there were six total films. And I had her watch four, two, three, five, six. So you get, you know, a new hope. And then before you get the Darth Vader reveal that he's... Luke's father, you go back, you see Clone Wars, you see the Jedi, you see the foundation of the Sith, which then sets you up for kind of the understanding of, like, the Galactic Empire, what's at stake in the galaxy, blah, blah, blah. gives you some background to what you saw in A New Hope, and then you go into Empire Strikes Back, which is probably the strongest film of the entire canon, and then culminating in Return of the Jedi. I did not even have her watch Phantom Menace. She's never seen it, because I just don't think there's anything of value in it. Um, It has... Several elements that I choose to just not believe are part of the Star Wars canon, looking at you midi-chlorians, like, legitimately no. think that ruins Star Wars. Um, also, The like, fact
0: that you can be, like, you are genetically predisposed. to be. Bro, it's...
1: To I'm gonna sound, like, super social justice warrior but it makes star wars into like a tale about eugenics it's about being a pure-blooded you know what i mean like you need to be like the the master race to be and that sucks like the whole the appeal of star wars the first a new hope is that luke is like a farm boy from nowhere and a nobody from the backwater could be the savior of the galaxy like that's such a you know inviting invigorating story and then in this movie they're basically just like Nah, actually you gotta be a space Aryan if you wanna be a superhero. Like it's like what, dog? Like and by the ninth movie, they've done that gone so far where it's like every fucking person that has the force is basically a Skywalker or related related to one of two families. Like the Skywalkers yeah. and the Palpatines are ninety percent of the Jedi's in the galaxy. It's so annoying.
0: Yeah, any of the non aliens anyways. And and I'll say this. I obviously after seeing the la- the, the two Disney sequels, the Return of the Jedi. What is it called? Is that no? It's not called Return of the Jedi. I'm, the Last I'm Last Jedi and uh, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Which I'll so say this: Awak- When I saw
1: Force Awakens in theaters, I didn't
0: have too much of a problem with it. I enjoyed it for what it was. A hundred percent agree. It was a. It was one of those reboots that just basically rehashes. Yep. Totally of old- ripped off a New
1: Hope. Like they even had a, a Death Star built bigger in it, which should be lame but i was in a theater with children and they were so fucking stoked i was like no they did it
0: like this, this yeah works. they did it yeah it yeah. works it absolutely did with that being said despite the fact that the force awakens was by far the best of the the disney sequels from what i understand i better think than
1: that- uh the uh okay you're talking about the main line not because i kind of like what's it called um what's the 2.5 movie you know what i'm talking about the one they put Rogue doesn't one? have any of the- Rogue One. I kinda of thought Rogue One slapped, dude. I enjoyed Rogue One's Rogue a slapper.
0: One. It's a slappity slapper. Now there is that one part where they go to the planet with uh Forrest Whitaker and that kinda of bogs down, but there's some sick characters yeah. like the yeah. blind monk and stuff. Blind monk is tight. Um, yeah, there's there's some there's some slappity moments in that. There's obviously we we've talked about this, but the chore the choreographer for that film was the choreographer for the choreographer for the Batman. And so that scene at the end of the film where uh, Darth Vader walking through the dark hallway. So just,
1: sick, dude. So intimidating. Just and people
0: around. Yeah. That, so th- that happens a few times in the in the Batman with Robert Pattinson, where he's just in a dark hallway, murking people. So yeah, it rules. Sick call out. Um, but what I was gonna say is, despite the fact that The Force Awakens is significantly better than The Last Jedi, one thing that Ryan Johnson, the writer of The Last Jedi, got right, as opposed to the, you know, J.J. Abrams, the writer of The Force Awakens, is the idea that Jedi can be anybody. That was a huge part of the plot. I loved that. The, last the
1: ending scene with the little kid holding the broom.
0: You know what I mean? That was so cool. That's one I of the loved it. one of the coolest little side scenes in all of Star Wars. Okay, so let's, let's get into the Phantom minutes I was going to say this first, like, 15 minutes is, from a pacing perspective, it's wild as fuck, and... I, this was about the time that I texted you and and I made this statement, which I kind of still stand by. I said, "Oh my gosh, this is only a half notch above Spy Kids," because first of all, let, let me let me get into <laughs> to say why because it's it is it is kind of sounds like an asinine statement, but the pacing, the explanation of why they're doing what they're doing, and and the 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 plot setup, the decisions the characters are making, as well as the CGI. All reminded me. I felt like I was watching Spy Kids, except for like the the humor and things of that nature. It's very antiquated because this is
1: 1999, dude. CGI is really, really rudimentary. But yeah, so this starts off like we said. There's this trade dispute where the Trade Federation, which is effectively like all trade in the galaxy, they're like the Teamsters Union for the galaxy. Effectively, they handle all galactic trade. The galaxy in Star Wars, they relegate pretty much all. Like, any major activity is handled by one large group. So there's a banking guild, there's the Trade Federation, there's the Techno Union. They, they are very big into consolidation. They do not have monopoly laws in the Galactic yeah. Republic. That was not something they, they wanted to get, get involved with. In. So the Trade Federation has blockaded Naboo, which is like kind of this peaceful, non-militarized, but very like... I guess, representational and, like, high-profile world. And so, like, that way everyone sees that they'll they'll kowtow to the Trade Federation's demands. Yeah. So, Finnis Valorum, who's the sitting Chancellor of the Galactic Republic—he's the Supreme Chancellor—he dispatches a team of Jedi, uh, Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, and his apprentice, a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh,
0: he sends them there to negotiate. Yeah, so not a team— Two mofos. Two yeah, guys. Two guys. And and one of them is not even on the council. He's just like an 18 year old scratch right. up right now. Pi- like.
1: And they're pilots. So, like, they have, and they're in, like, a marked ship, a marked diplomatic ship from the Republic. So they show up. Now, this is where we're introduced to one, the first of many racist George Lucas creation characters, Newt Gunray <laughs> of the Trade Federation. This shit is just wild like an Asian. In retrospect, <laughs> it has a Fu Manchu mustache that's like, like, te- tentacles growing out of its face, and it talks like the most racist Chinese stereotype you've ever heard. Like, all it does is be like, oh, he said a Jedi, and you're just like, are we really doing this? Is this what we're doing? Like, so I, as bad. a kid, obviously, I didn't have any idea that that was an issue, but like, as an adult, I watched this, I'm like, how did this get through, like, did George make this and then show up at the premiere with it? Like, how'd no one be like, I guess 1999 was just like,
0: real different energy, bro, because... That shit's wild. And, w- and what's, what's I think, <clears throat> crazy about this, and I don't want to take unnecessary shots at uh, George Lucas, but it's one thing to have a story that's grounded in today's society and you make a character, make a decision, or have a, a, a character flaw or character trait that is a little bit... It eh, feels a little bit prejudiced or whatever. This feels like he wasn't even trying to think of Asians and then he made... Just the most stereotypical... It's very much like Disney in the 1940s with the crows. And and I'll say this. George Lucas is is.
1: heavily influenced by Flash Gordon. Like, that's, like, a huge influence for him. And Flash Gordon had a villain called the Manchurian, who was, like, a space Chinese guy who had a big Fu Manchu mustache and talked like this. So, very possible that when he was trying to come up with, like, this evil guy, that's where his mind went. Um, But Newt Gunray and a bunch of other offensive Chinese stereotype dudes... They are at the head of the Trade Federation, and we, it is revealed that they—the reason they've grown so bold—is because they have like a secret dude pulling the strings, and that is uh, Darth Sidious, a Dark Lord of the Sith. So he's like, "Hey man, like the Jedi are here. We got to break up the blockade." Like, "Sorry, bro, we're not about that life." And Darth Sidious is just like, "Nah, smoke those guys." And they—and these guys, to their credit, they are about it. They're like, "Okay, fine," like, <laughs> and they immediately kill the Jedi's, they blow up the Jedi's marked Republic cruiser in the hangar and they try to They kill gas. the pilots, yeah. Yeah, they kill the pilots, and then they try to gas the two Jedi who conveniently are carrying they they can hold their Jedi breath really well and they have like Jedi rebreathing apparatuses they carry in their cloak at all times, just some
0: Batman shit, which I don't really believe yeah. the Jedi carry that at all times, but whatever. One thing that I really enjoyed about the original trilogy is that Jedi were not this invincible, uh, almost like Navy SEAL of the galaxy. They were effectively monks that could fight really well, that were incredibly wise, right? But in this trilogy, and then in the Disney trilogy, they basically become like superheroes over time. Yeah. And they become straight up special force operatives in this trilogy, which I think is really weird, especially... For certain characters like yoda which we'll get into a little bit later but uh yeah i thought that was really there's really strange and one more thing about this scene that i thought was interesting is this was one of a few times where Darth Sidious, who by the way one thing we kind of glossed over is Darth Sidious is a hologram during yeah. most of this you don't he's not with them um he's not on the ships obviously you don't really you're not supposed to know who Darth Sidious is and but he
1: looks so much like Emperor Palpatine that you're pretty much immediately, like, you know, that's yeah, for sure know. Emperor Palpatine. And then we're introduced to a character named Senator Palpatine, who's also an old guy. So we're kind of like, okay, even nine year old Andy was kind of like, okay, bet."
0: Yeah, fans of the trilogy, people that have watched the original films, they would immediately guess that that's Palpatine. But if you are, as you said, if you're the audience, if you're a nine-year-old who maybe doesn't know, you would just be like, oh, okay, Dark Cloak, old raggedy man who's saying kill them, that's an evil guy. Which is kind of one thing that I think has done well is establishing that this evil entity is kind of pulling the strings. But this is one of about ten just really dumb strategic decisions that that he makes during this trilogy. Like, I don't okay, know dude, so it works out. He wins. So, uh, I mean, not, is it the way that he wanted it to? I mean, the idea that you would have these, if your goal is to, to have an effective blockade, which maybe that wasn't the goal. Maybe oh it definitely wasn't. He immediately
1: way. orders them to invade the planet. He wants to force the chancellor to look inept because he knows that the chancellor will not take military action against the trade, trade, trade federation. So he wants to create a conflict where the Jedi are going to be like, bro, like we got to make moves, and the Chancellor is kind of, you know, has his hands tied, which will lead to the vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum to save the Naboo people, and that's where he manipulates Jar Jar into, you know, dominating him. Fair. But yeah. yeah, it on the surface it is like a incredibly bold decision. Like yeah. this is effectively like the United States sends you know two senators to, you know, have a discussion with some you know a blockade that's happening in some other country and you immediately smoke these two senators and you're like, yeah, this'll, this'll get the plan rolling. And you're like, damn dude, that could go really poorly. I guess the only reason it's really going to work is that there is at this point. Uh, and I don't know if they actually say this in the, in this movie or in the second movie only, but the Republic has had a thousand years of peace at this point, And so they're very anti-military and they don't have an, a standing army at this point. So, Maybe the boldness of the decision is underlined by the fact that they're not really concerned. Like, the Jedi are really the only defense, and the Jedi have kind of resigned themselves to this role as, like, you know, very peaceful warrior monks who try to work everything out via diplomacy and do not like to be... They've been removed from the actual, like, military chain of command, and they operate separately within the Republic, you know, with their own chain of command.
0: They they report to a different entity, but they kind of remind me of the Secret Service ish. Yeah, maybe very much so. Is a good way of putting it, or maybe like U.S. Marshals is. Yeah, that's a good one. They, too. they handle these very fringe cases, specialized cases. They they make sure that they're like the um, Texas Rangers of the the galaxy. That's a good way of putting it for for Texas, where it's like they will handle like high security, high risk situations they'll also kind of handle some of the more touchy feeling action situations they're like general peacekeepers that can kind of they can wear multiple hats sort of right right so the jedi in this situation like they send
1: all these battle droids after them, and it becomes clear that the trade federation despite being like a trade organization they've got they got you know they got shooters and Gon yeah, and Obi-Wan they got get down okay. into this hangar and This entire hangar is filled with a full-on invasion army, like thousands of battle droids, heavy tanks, like destroyer droids, starfighters, and they're like, oh my god, they're not doing a blockade. They're going to invade the planet. We've got to report this to the Republic so that we can get the word out. So they smuggle on board a droid ship and they make it down to the surface. We're introduced to simultaneously the most divisive and impactful character in the entire Star Wars saga, the man who doomed the galaxy, Jar Jar Binks who is a <laughs> another incredibly racially offensive Jamaican stereotype a Gungan, which is the uh, the noble savages of, of the Naboo world they are like the characters that are like oh they're simple but their way of life is noble, like the full on white man's burden view of like native people and Jar Jar has been exiled from Gungan society for, I guess, generally just kind of being a, a clumsy fuck. Yeah, he's just, like, super annoying. He knocks shit over and steps in poop <laughs> and, like, just yeah. general clownishness. He's, um, he's
0: too much of a Jamaican stereotype for even their tastes. He's dude, just the whole,
1: all... like, man, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, in the year 99 or 2000, dude, the number of just, like, a Misa, Jar Jar, you know, just all that. Jar Jar talk was in a lot of places, and it sucked. It was incredibly not okay for, like, white people to be walking around being like, Misa, your humble servant! You're just like, oh,
0: I don't know, (laughs) dude. I don't know if we should be doing that. I don't know about that. But one thing thing I'll say about in the defense of, of Jar Jar real quick before we move on is, I said this earlier, if you watch Star Wars, man, the line deliveries are so crazy flat, it makes no sense. Even the original trilogies, That kind of almost they're kind of coming out of the transatlantic talk, and so they're they're, there's even they're still like a little bit flat in their line deliveries. But this movie is nuts in that regard. Padme and Queen Amidala, you know, that whole thing, like particularly their line delivery is crazy flat. Qui Gon Jinn, played by uh nieces Liam Neeson, he is just every single line he is so flat, and I understand with some of these characters they maybe have a character archetype like the, the reserved stoic, monk if, or whatever yeah. stoic but if that's all you are if like in crisis situations there <laughs> there's this video on on youtube that shows different crisis situations for the first few uh, or actually i guess all these trilogies but especially the phantom menace where it'll like show them being chased by you know a droid or they'll be in the you know the one of the scenes we're about to cover there'll be in the water being chased by a big fish and they'll just be like, with a deadpan look, be looking out the window and just be like, speed up. Go faster. Yeah. Yeah. They're gaining on us. To the point where that's where I look at the director. I look at George Lucas and say, dog, you gotta you gotta direct these people. And there's again the first part of me what, that makes me think is this what he wanted? Did he want it to be so flat to maybe be a callback to a different time or like maybe, maybe a true space opera like maybe it's supposed to be an opera where All the line deliveries are the exact same. I truly couldn't figure it out. Part of me
1: wonders if like this was at the very beginning of like heavy CGI movies where like entire environments were CGI'd in using, you know, the latest computer technology. And I'm wondering if like both directors and actors were not really used to directing and and acting in an environment where like the thing they're supposed to be reacting to isn't there yet. You know, like when you're on this, this boat and a giant monster fish is chasing you, but you can't see it. Because it's added in post. I think that's a skill set that actors developed over time. When I see like behind the scenes footage of them doing Avatar, I don't know how they did it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you pretend that, you know what I mean? Because it's all fake. They're just standing in a green room with like dots attached to their face being like I'm Smeagol, you know, I'm here to get the ring. You know what yeah, I mean? Like no. So you're you're hundred
0: percent correct in calling. They might just out. not
1: have had the skills yet, but it, it does come off that way. You're dead, you're you're dead on, and that it's like very it, strange in some parts where you're just like you would be so much more
0: concerned than you are displaying right now. Interaction with CGI has got to be crazy challenging if that's the scene. But there's also scenes, especially when they're talking about trade. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like sure, they're in the Senate sure. or whatever, where you've got uh Kira Knightley playing the fake Queen Amidala and she'll be like, Senator, I believe that it is not in the best interest to relate to these requests. And then the guy that's playing the person she's talking to will be like, And I believe that it is not in your best interest to. And it's like, guys, can we not show any um, emotion right now? It's, yeah. So, uh, and then the other thing that I'll point out um, in regards to the CGI is there's a few scenes in this trilogy where they do really cool interaction with cgi and one of them is yoda i mean anytime anybody has to interact with yoda that's got to be hard like you pointed out um i loved old puppet Yoda. yeah he was awesome somebody pointed out that the person who was count dooku's body double and was doing the doing the fake lightsaber fight with the you know cgi yoda that guy was on one that guy was yeah
1: dude he was on x games mode if you will I love that fight scene, too. I was in a theater for that. And when Yoda walked in and turned on the lightsaber, dude, that's one of my favorite theater moments ever. Like, people went ape shit when Yoda turned on the lightsaber. Because, like, we've always heard in Star Wars lore, in other movies, like, you know, he was the best swordsman in the galaxy, rivaled only by Master Yoda, who's the best. You know what I mean? We were always like, Yoda's the best swordsman in the galaxy? And then we were like, oh, damn. He is the best swordsman in the galaxy. That's he's lit. Arrested. So he's the Mahomes of, of... He, he is he is because I mean he's a little frog, you know, small small frog looking man who is, <laughs> who, who beats. He's the little like, Kermit guy. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they save Jar Jar Binks' life, and like every kind of noble savage species in Star Wars, they have a life debt tradition. The Wookiees have it. The Gungans have it. Where you save their life, they're indebted to you for the rest of their existence, which is like. Again, I don't want to be this guy, but that's so strange how like all these <laughs> very specific archetypes of characters in Star Wars all share this. But Jar Jar yeah. Binks is indebted to Qui Gon forever now because he pushed him out of the way of a tank, and so Jar Jar is like, okay, you know, like what do you want to do? And they're like, hey, we got to get to the we got to get to the Naboo people. Like, Definitely, how do we yeah. get there? And he's like, oh, okay, I'll take you through the Gungan's underwater city, and they get in front of Boss Nass, who is a you know. The, the fattest jamaican of all the
0: jamaicans and is uh, equally offensive and he, he's based, the only one that does the whole like shake and you know bruh, i'm not gonna yeah where he does the shake and his spit goes everywhere which makes me think is he just weird as fuck even in their own environment yeah i think where, so like, dude. i think he, so. he's the only one that does that everybody else is like damn the king's that is the first time he Asconte did that
1: again yeah dude the first time he did that they were all like what's what was that why'd you do that is that your thing? Is that like a signature move? So yeah. they do get to the capital city. It's been occupied by the droid army. They're going to force Amidala to sign like a surrender, basically legitimizing their blockade and legitimizing their invasion, effectively being like, no, we want the Trade Federation to take over our planet. But they rescue Queen Amidala and her uh, her little posse, including uh, her bodyguard and body double, her handmaid Padme, who yeah. unbeknownst to the Jedi is... Actually, the real Queen Amidala, who has switched places with her actual body double, Keir Knightley, in order for her own protection, which makes sense. And so they escaped uh, Naboo on her uh, pretty cool-designed Royal Starship. I really like the Royal Starship, the huge chrome version of the Starfighter. It looks pretty fire. So sick. And so they're going to try to get to Coruscant. Um, Very 2000s, by the way. Super 2000s. Our idea of the future was just like everything was going to be chrome as fuck, like super tight. So, but on the way out of the, they try to like just blow through the, the blockade, and they they get their hyperdrive blown out. So they can only get to one of the only five planets in the Star Wars galaxy we actually go to. They're like, oh, let's pick a planet at random, uh, Tatooine. So we're going back to Tatooine, which is outside the Republic's jurisdiction, which means that like the Trade Federation won't be there either, which is good for their purposes. And when they land, they decide that Qui Gon Jar Jar an astrometric droid that they brought along named r2d2 and padme who is actually the queen uh are gonna go into this settlement in mos espa and they're gonna find and purchase a new hyperdrive so they go to this junk shop and they encounter the third of the super offensive racial stereotypes a space jew A-N-D, <laughs> so there's a guy named waddo he's a big bug which that's some Nazi shit to make the space Jew a big bug. He has a giant nose, and when Qui Gon tries to use his mind tricks on him, he literally has a line where he goes, "Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Only money." <laughs> and you're like, "Wow,
0: dude, really?" If all he did, if all he did was make the nose smaller, yeah, it would have been okay. That's all he has to do, yeah, and it, oh. just be like, "Okay." Oh, yeah, it seems selfish. intentional.
1: Whatever. But so it Watto has Watto has two human slaves, a mother and son, and the nine-year-old son is a slave, and this slave is, dun-dun-dun, Anakin Skywalker, who is, like, a super gifted engineer and pilot at a super young age, and he's building uh, a protocol droid named C-3PO, and we see him for the first time, like, super cool – and Qui-Gon is immediately like, damn, dude, you, like, can fly ships and build shit, and you're nine years old. Like, I can sense the Force in you. And he becomes pretty convinced pretty quickly that this young child is the chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. But Watto's, like, basically, like, you can't have this hyperdrive. I'm not taking your bullshit Republican money. Like, we don't use that shit out here. And so Qui-Gon decides to wager the hyperdrive and Anakin's freedom in the uh, upcoming Boonta Eve pod race in which Anakin is going to race. Now, I will say this about the pod race. The pod racing scene is fire as fuck. It is one of the coolest things we see in Star Wars. It is Agreed. negatively impacted, just like later scenes in this movie, by the necessity for since I I'll say this. This is personal. I hate little kid doing shit movies. You know what I mean where it's like 9-year-old <laughs> is a starfighter pilot, 9-year-old is a pod racer pilot. And so they keep having to cut to this actual baby in a pod racer being like, "Now this is pod racing." Like little precocious bullshit like that. I hate you're you,
0: you're that Michael Jordan meme that just says fuck them Fuck kids. them kids.
1: Seriously though, it's very aggravating. Like he could have just been 14, dude. They could have just found a, a middle teenager to do this. He's already too old to be trained. Just make Darth Vader older. He's a fucking robot, so his age doesn't matter. Like, this, yeah, it all doesn't make sense. I don't this know why the they problem chose a 9
0: This is the problem with the fact that they chose effectively a, in the scale of the scenes they put him in, he's effectively a toddler. Yeah, he's, a, he's, he's
1: an actual first
0: grader. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they, they put him in, I mean, the only scenes he's effectively in are, uh, he's in the pod racing scene. Which is F one racing of the galaxy. Yeah, and F one racing also, with violence, dude. Like <laughs> Yeah. Chariot racing. F one death F1. racing. Like effectively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he's in that and then he's also in you know, freedom fighting in in the sky. Bro, he's, don't even get know,
1: me we'll get to the scene where he gets in the starfighter, but where he's just like, Oh no, how do I get out of this plane? Maybe I'll just click all these buttons and it's like automatically flying towards the battle automatically shooting the lasers at all the bad guys like what autopilot program does this fucking starfighter have dude like some genius some
0: technical genius this kid is he doesn't even know how to get off autopilot but it's whack one of the problems that they have with this is if it was a competent 14 year old you could show him getting in it and being like i'm gonna make an active decision to go fight right i'm gonna make an active decision to get in the fighter pilot and try to figure this out but instead they dealt with the fact they were like, "Fuck, he's eight. How do we make him?" <laughs> so yeah. he makes a he on his own volition. He jumps into the fighter pilot, and then he's like, "Oh no, it's driving! Like what, dog? Like you oh, got it's actually it's actually
1: worse than that because Qui Gon goes, "Get in that starfighter and hide." Like that's his hiding spot for him. He's like, "Don't leave the starfighter," and then r2 is in the starfighter with anakin and he's like beep boop beep boop beep and he's like no qui-gon technically said not to lead the starfighter so i'm actually following the rules you're like okay little babysitter's club child who's now in a space battle like this makes so little sense but the i will say the pod racing scene is super fire i love sebulba's pod racer that has like a Sounds like a space dodge charger. It's like the Hellcat. <speaking> <vur Racing> it's so tight, dude. It is a Hellcat. Yeah. It's super sick. I love that whole scene. I, it looks. I love great. how the only up. the
0: only pod racer that stalls has the fat alien. Yeah, and he looks he's like and he just like shit out of the <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so he, great. He just he looks like again like the stereotype. He has to be some like. Fat Western European. That's just yeah, like absolutely super like a, pay, a
1: pay driver. Like he paid yeah. his way into this pod race. He clearly has yeah. no experience. Like his dad's a rich alien who bought him a pod racer. <laughs> um,
0: Dude. Okay. So it, one thing that I'll say about the pod racing is it is one of the coolest parts of the Phantom Menace. It spawned a great N sixty four game too. The yeah. pod racing game was fire. It is not creative. No. Like no. It's as not. some. Listen, we talked a little bit about our writing backgrounds, but. I've written sci-fi. I've written fantasy. One of the easiest things to write in science fiction and fantasy are the little niches of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they had this sport, but there was this twist. That's super easy to come up with. Yep. So basically, the idea that there would be racing in the desert and that it would be control, that it would be hovering, and then it would have like two, the engines would be on the front and would kind of be dragging it around. That's not crazy inventive. So I give the minimal amount of world building points to Lucas in the grand scheme of it. Can we talk about the fact that this is a
1: planet where there is no government of any kind? Like, Tatooine is run by the Huts. Like, actual crime lords rule this planet. They have open practice of slavery, which I don't, again, not trying to be that guy, but the fact that the Jedi are like, yeah, we don't interfere in local politics, so, you know, if they have slavery, we just fucking, we support that shit. Like, that's very strange to me, that they're like the paragons of virtue in the galaxy, and they're like... Yeah, no. I'll buy your. I'll buy the kid from you. I'm not paying for the mom, dude. She seems like a rip off. So you can keep that old bitch. I'm taking the. I'm taking the young kid. He's got a future. So that's strange. Um, yeah. Jinn low key participates in the flesh trade in this movie, like actively slave trades, which is weird. But yeah. so after knowing all those facts about how like cutthroat and fucking backwater this planet is, Watto loses basically his entire livelihood in this bet, and he pays up. He doesn't just fucking leave or shoot Qui-Gon in the back of the head during the race or something like, yeah, that makes so little sense to me that he's like an honorable man. I I don't understand that at all. But Anakin wins the race. He does get his freedom. They get the hyperdrive and he's forced to leave his mom, which again, super shitty. Qui-Gon, just take the just take the mom. What's going to happen? Watto going to come after you, dude. Is he going to get on his ship and come (laughs) after you? Probably not. Cause he's a fucking yeah. space bug, you know what I mean, who runs a junkyard, so probably doesn't have the resources to come after you, but okay. Also during this whole the night before the pod races when we have the famous like he takes the fucking blood sample from Anakin and has it analyzed and he's like, Oh my god, it's over nine thousand or whatever. Like he's got <laughs> so a He's got a bajillion Midi chlorians. I was like, dog, I hate this so fucking much. So like that that opens up so many questions about what the force is. 'Cause it's like, oh, it's in all the forces in all living things. It binds us together and like makes a gap well, clearly it's not in all living things. It's in a microorganism that lives in the blood of certain <laughs> exclusively white humans with blonde
0: hair. Like this is yeah. fucking strange, dude. So what it kicks off one of the f- things that is so peculiar about how they look at Anakin throughout this trilogy is when it's convenient to the plot, they'll just have a hunch. And they'll be like, "Oh, this boy has a lot of yeah. potential. I see great things." But then, when it's but then when they want to foreshadow, they'll be like, "I'm sensing great anger in him. And yeah. It's not at all like there's no foreshadowing. It's so they just again, I understand having these monks that have this foresight and can foreshadow and can see things. But when you just pick and choose when it's gonna happen just to like move the plot along, like. He just assumes that Anakin's gonna be great and then when Anakin's too promising they have to throw in lines to be like I sense a dark cloud in his future. It's just yeah, kinda for sure. I don't know, it's all over the map.
1: It is very strange. But they so they do decide to depart. He has to leave his mother Shmi behind, which is again super sad and totally unnecessary. Literally didn't have to do that. I mean you have to do it for the plot, but Yeah, I agreed. it, it makes Qui Gon a bad person to his decision to do this, he's like, well, I can't break the rules of the local slave trade. She's owned by Watto. I have to. I would have to win her in in a different wager in order to take her off the planet.
0: He manipulated the dice so that he could save Anakin. You remember when they do the little, they do a bet? He manipulates the dice, but he's not. (laughs) Yeah, he's gonna cheat there, but he's not cool with cheating in other ways to like save someone's life. Very selective uh, ethics
1: amongst the Jedi Master. Um, But when they're on their way to the starship, uh, Darth Maul rolls up on his uh, space motorcycle, and him and Qui Gon have like a brief duel in the desert uh, before he cut? jumps.
0: Yeah, go for it. This scene has one of the most absurd edit cuts I've ever seen in a film because it, show- it shows. It shows. For no reason at all, it shows, uh, you know, the departure. Anakin leaves his mom, and it's really sad. And it's just him and Qui-Gon. They're kind of just, like, moping. And then they have a star like, wipe across the screen. They're like they, they have a wipe, and then it shows them sprinting as fast as they can to the ship. For no reason. They don't say yeah. why they're sprinting. And then, then Qui-Gon looks back at him and is like, hurry up, we gotta get out of here. And then out of nowhere, Darth Maul comes in. It's So it's like they're running away from Darth Maul, but... Darth Maul hasn't made an appearance yet. <laughs> they're just like running they're sprinting as fast as they can for absolutely no reason and then he shows up. It's it, it's very jarring if you watch it. Yeah, we've only seen it. him as a hologram up until that point. Yeah. Um they don't so, they don't know
1: he exists up until this yeah, point. They they have no idea who he is. So they have a brief fight and then he gets back Qui Gon gets back on the starship and they're just like, Who was that? And he's like, Oh, whoever he was, he's been trained in the ways of the dark side. And they're like, Oh well, whatever. The appearance of an actual Sith Lord doesn't set off any alarm bells with them. They're too worried about this fucking nine-year-old who's good at fucking motorcycle racing. So, (laughs) they get on the starship, the hyperdrive works, and they get back to Coruscant, which is a One of the cool... This is, like, a rumored. We never got to see it in the original series, but it was, like, talked about. It's a a planet where the entire planet is a single, huge city, which is super cool. And it's the capital of the Republic. It's where the Jedi Temple is. It's where the Galactic Senate is is housed. they get there, and Amidala is there to, like, plead her case before the Senate... And Qui Gon takes Anakin in front of the council and is like, "Dude, I think that dude that like jumped me was a Sith." And they're kind of like, "Bro, like you're just saying he was a Sith because you got your ass beat." Like there are no Sith. You're just making that shit up. But then he asks for permission to train Anakin, and they have this scene where Anakin is like using telepathy effectively. Like they got a little screen, and he's being like Cup, Speeder, <laughs> Apple. You know what I mean? And he, so he like yeah, how many he, fingers you like read mine effectively? And they're like, okay, Bet, you're like definitely, you're definitely a wizard. Okay, cool, you're like a space wizard, lit. But then they're like, he's too old, he's too emotional, he's too vulnerable to the dark side. And, and here's the why thing did about they put him logic. through that
0: test if they were going to do that? One, that. Two, okay,
1: so you think that this kid is super powerful, but too emotional and vulnerable to the dark side, and so your solution is going to be to just like what? Turn him loose? Then he's almost assuredly going to be snapped up by the Sith. You just fucking encountered you'd think they'd be like okay he can't become a jedi but we're gonna lock him up or like you know have a job for him or like work with him or something like
0: put him back in slavery since you clearly don't care about that yeah
1: you're (laughs) definitely down with slavery under the right conditions if you're in the right jurisdiction you're you're super down but they're like no you can't blah blah blah. so qui-gon basically tells anakin he's like look they're not gonna let you me make you my apprentice but you know, I need you to just like watch me, learn from me. I'm going to, I promise I'm going to make you a Jedi one day. So, so then they proceed to take this guy to fucking
0: war zones. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. They, they,
1: they're like, yeah, let's traumatize the fuck out of this kid. That'll help. <laughs> so meanwhile, like the, the political intrigue side, Amidala reunites with Naboo's senator, who is Senator Palpatine and Palpatine's basically like, look, man, like this shit's not going super great. we got to push for a vote. And Amidal is pretty frustrated by the corruption of the Senate. And it's, it's never like explained to us whether it's actually corruption or if this is just like, like, her view being kind of slanted by Palpatine's poisonings. And there's just bureaucracy involved here that like, we don't really, you know, it's a slow moving thing. They're not going to act quickly that they're kind of like the UN in that way. Like nothing happens fast. And when it does, it's like a strongly worded letter rather than like them sending actual soldiers. And so Palpatine's like, look, dude, he's not going to solve it. I think you should push for a, a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. And we'll get a more capable leader in there who can solve the crisis. And so at this point, obviously, the the conspiracy is revealed, right? Like he needed to create a crisis that would lead to someone that was totally above suspicion, i.e. Queen Amidala, to push for a vote of no confidence. And that would lead to Palpatine's ascension to Supreme Chancellor. So he goes from like the senator of a backwater planet no one gives a shit about to being the senator from a planet that everyone gives a shit about at the center of this big galactic controversy to suddenly he is being groomed to be the Supreme Chancellor of the Galactic Senate. Man, do you think um, this is
0: where all the 4chan neckbeards got their ideas about every 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 real crisis being a fake, like the fake actors? Oh, and bro, like, all that shit. Yeah, absolutely. This is this was like at the heart of like so
1: many false flag like conspiracies. <laughs> like, bro, it's just like episode one. Wait, what like, what year did this movie come out? 1999, like right after there you Columbine, go. dude. Loose like, change, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like right before 9/11. And what's funny is like. I don't think people remember this, but like the discourse around these movies in the political environment we had at the time when it was like terrorism and like we were going to war in Iraq and Afghanistan and like we weren't to the level we're at now where everything is politicized. But there definitely were people on the early Internet having a discussion about the political nature of this film and like who was what side, you know, like the Warhawks of the early 2000s versus the peaceniks, things like that. And what side was Watto on, you think? (laughs) <laughs> he was on the getting money side, dude. He was like running Halliburton or Blackwater or some it, shit. Dude. I guess it
0: depends on whether or not you think the party flip actually is a, is a myth or if it actually, yeah, or,
1: or actually, uh, I think Wado's people were just in control of everything. They're pulling the strings from behind this. What? <laughs> the, the, Wado runs all the banks and the movie theaters.
0: So, you know, I mean, like, God. um, Watto you know, but, and this, in the trade Federation, man, in the They're trade Federation. Them, yeah.
1: yeah, no, but I, I do think what's very interesting about that is I look back on that. And it's almost quaint how we've considered like, oh man, there's like heavy political division over this piece of art, and now it's like, no, it there wasn't. That was not heavy political division. <laughs> that was just like random people on the internet having a fight. Now, <laughs> go, go read the comments on a new Marvel trailer if you'd like to see <laughs> heavy political division. So, Dude, if
0: you gave if you gave the Disney Corporation the, the reins to have a Disney, well, I guess they could do this if they wanted to, but if if they did a Star Wars that had a <laughs> A slave ring and then had like a lot of political discourse about like freedom and stuff could you imagine how heavy-handed that shit would get, oh, god, how would get heavy-handed so fast just finger painting
1: with one color you know what i mean like, yeah. it's like no subtlety god my dad just texted me and goes i know you're a big gary v fan so i got i here's the link for vip tickets to vcon
0: <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh, it's yeah, a, yeah. And, uh, I was about to ask: is there is there a uh, NFT guild that looks over this galaxy? Oh, that... dude, you
1: know they got the sickest NFTs because they're like holograms. Yeah, hell yeah. Dude. Or the so... the board ape guild out there somewhere. <laughs> the board ape planet. The board. The board wookie planet. <laughs> they all they they naturally grow fedoras out of their heads, like as they're... <laughs> So, um. So there, she is successful in pushing for the vote, and. Palpatine becomes the Supreme Chancellor, and he's like, don't worry, I'm going to, you know, handle this Trade Federation shit for you. So Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are ordered by the Jedi Council to accompany the Queen back to Naboo and investigate the return of the Sith – because uh, they thought the Sith were—the last—the the millennium of peace I mentioned earlier, the last time this Republic was at war was when the Jedi and the Republic fought the war against the Sith. And the Sith had an army, and the Jedi had an army, and thousands of Jedi and Sith died. It was wild as fuck. So they're very concerned about the reemergence
0: of the dark side of the Force. So I think do- this is one of the worst things that in, in this whole screenplay for this first film— I've said this before on this podcast. One of the most challenging things as a writer is, like, when you know you want to get one character from point A to point B, but you don't know how to do it. And sometimes it's a challenge. Like, shit, do I have to write three more chapters to do that? Or should I rewrite something? And their decision is a little bit questionable because... Dude, the Queen's uh, insistence on going back to Naboo is hilarious. Like, it doesn't
1: matter if if there's, like, during 9-11 if George Bush had been like, no, take me back to the White House, it doesn't matter if he's the president. You know what I mean? The Secret Service has the authority to be like, no, sir. We're under active attack right now. You're not going back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're, while the planet is being invaded and, like, it's under military occupation, they're not going to fly the queen directly back to their her would-be hostage takers.
0: And they just like, sorry, bro, she's the queen. It'd be more like if James Madison was like, in the war of 1812 yeah yeah no white house yeah
1: dude i left my i left my glasses on the nightstand dog yeah Yeah, exactly it's insane so they do go back to naboo and padme reveals herself uh in front of the gungans because they know they have to make an alliance so they go in front of boss nash and they're like hey i know we've always been like super racist and put you in concentration camps and like reservations and shit but y'all are actually pretty lit for savages and they've always been the to my exactly, and so they they kneel before him. He laughs. He, they gain their trust, and he decides he's going to sacrifice his entire people uh, on the altar of Nabuian freedom. And so they put together like this huge Gungan army out in the swamps. Jar is promoted to, to general, which man. The Gungan military operates like the Russian military. Like their officer corps must be fucking ass, and it's all just like boss naps, like cronies who get to be generals. in the Gungan army, dude, like they what got is these, going they got these
0: generals out of like ITT Technical Institute, like some Bro, dudes that just watch Mari in the daytime and just can you imagine? To these jobs. Can you
1: imagine like? You're a Gungan general. You're like a battle scarred Gungan general who's devoted your life to defending the Gungan people. And they're like, doo doo M- Oops. Uh, excuse me, Misa Jar Jar Bigs. Misa bigger a general now. And he- you're just like, are you fucking kidding me, dog? Like, the guy who I'm just a- constantly steps and shit. I'm gonna shoot <laughs> this dude in the back as soon as the battle starts. Like, <laughs> dead ass on some Soviet commissar shit. Oh no! <laughs> Stray bullet hit Jar Jar in the face. Whoops. So. Basically, they're going to use the Gungans as like a sacrificial lamb slash distraction. That's their plan. Is like f- have a big battle out in the swamp to to pull all the Trade Federation military for no
0: strategic out. reason, just to like f- so f- they
1: can sneak into the palace. Which the idea that like if we oh if we put an army out there, the the Trade Federation will strip every military asset they have out of the capital city of the planet, including the guards around the palace. And send them out to fight. I'm like, bro. They invaded the whole planet. I think they have like the military to like fight this one battle, and also have some dudes stay by the door of the palace. Hey, hey, there's a bunch of
0: dudes standing in an open field and we have artillery and we have a city that we've occupied. Hey, why don't we leave those the walls of the city? Yeah. And go join them in the middle of the field. Don't bring air,
1: <laughs> don't bring any of the starfighters and don't use any of the like hundreds of orbital battleships we have up in orbit right now cuz like that would be lame and unfair of us. So yeah. they sneak into the palace. The Gungans start trying to fight uh, a a whole thing. They they sneak into the palace looking for Newt Gunray. They're basically going to try to like you know take him hostage and end this occupation by chopping the head off the snake. They sneak into the palace hangar and they're going to get all the Nabooian Air Force guys like back into their ships so they can go up and like hold. Uh, they're going to try to knock out the droid control ship that's up in orbit so that the battle droids will be knocked out. And while this is the scene where Qui Gon tells Anakin to hide inside a starfighter, and uh, he accidentally triggers the autopilot. Which also automatically like, sucks R2 up into the ship, and he's like in there with it. It's all very automated and very strange. He flies into space, and he ends up crashing into the Federation droid control ship, and while he's looking around inside the ship, he's like, what does this button do? And he fires two proton torpedoes, precision between two shield generators and two blast doors, and blows up the power generator for the entire ship and takes it down in one shot. Um, <laughs> Doesn't that just dumb down what Luke
0: does? In oh, New it Hope? makes
1: the it makes the Death Star scene look a thousand times lamer You're just like, really, a child could have done that by accident? All right, bet. Yeah. So d- down on the on the planet, Qui Gon and Obi Wan are leading the Queen to the throne room, and in the bowels of the palace, where like the big city power generation station is, they encounter Darth Maul. And this is, I will say, they did this shit right. I am usually not a huge fan of the super highly air, like acrobatic lightsaber fights. I really love the more like brutal uh, Darth Vader versus like, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Uh, cuz I feel like it's a lot more emotional than like the crouch and tiger hidden dragon flippy flip style, but Duel of the Fates plays, which is like some of John Williams' best work. Super incredible soundtrack. And this is where Darth Darth Maul pulls out the double sided lightsaber, and every child so, so. in America was like, "Holy shit!" And so they start fighting. Obi Wan gets separated from Qui Gon and Maul by a shield wall and the doors.
0: Which, yeah. by the way, what is, what is the purpose of those doors? There's like I eight doors really that just don't like know. they just open <laughs> and, in
1: sequence and close in sequence over and over again. I the other could thing, not tell
0: you. And again, I, I know that I'm being overly critical, but that's like kind of what we're trying to do right now. Um, but. In every Star Wars base, there's always a room with, like, a 2,000-foot drop and no railing. Absolutely, yeah. For Star, no reason. The,
1: de- the Death Star was full of them. Like, yeah, there is no OSHA in Star Wars universe. Like, there's no one being like, hey, everyone needs to have a hard hat on. And, uh, yeah, these stormtroopers that
0: are uh, stationed on this chasm, they need to have a railing. Sorry. Dude, imagine going to work every day and you have to go past those eight doors that are, like, made of plasma and... If you, if you time it wrong, you're going to get chopped in half. Super shooting. It's, it's all over the map. So,
1: so uh, he ends up slicing Qui-Gon Jinn in half. Or no, c- like stabs him through the chest, pretty much, with his lightsaber. Obi-Wan f- has to just stand there and watch it happen. He screams no in classic Star Wars fashion. And he has to wait for the plasma doors to open, and so Maul and him are just like pacing back and forth. Obi-Wan is like, you know, filling with a little bit of rage. He's letting his, his anger take over. And he f- Finally the door opens. He goes out there to fight Maul, but he's over aggressive. He falls down into the pit, but he grabs like this little nub that's hanging off the side and he force jumps up, grabs Qui-Gon's fallen lightsaber from the floor, and flips over Maul and slices Maul in half. And Maul falls down a pit, almost dies, ex- you know, later in, in Clone Wars we find out he didn't die in this moment. But for all intents and purposes to these movies, Maul is dead. Now Oh, I didn't know that. I will say My one easy fix that would have fixed a lot of this series, right here, you do not have Obi-Wan Kenobi do this. You have Maul kill Qui-Gon and then dip. And so Obi-Wan is filled with rage, his mentor has been killed, Anakin's mentor has been killed, and you don't need to have Darth, uh, what's his name... Tyrannis. You don't need to have Darth Tyrannus. You can just have Maul be the apprentice for the whole prequel trilogy. Meanwhile, obviously you have a, a continuous antagonist who's like baiting them the whole series and we like kinda get to like see him develop as a character. Um I think that could have been really cool. And it's one very easy decision they could have made here is you just don't kill this guy immediately. He was like Darth Maul was everywhere, dude. He was on Burger King Cups, he was on like His toy sold everywhere everyone had the double-sided lightsaber toy this dude is iconic he's probably the only iconic villain of the prequel trilogy everyone loved this guy the design was super brutal and cool and they killed he was on screen for like 10 minutes and then he died and i don't get that i think he could have been a great antagonist for all three movies
0: i i can't agree more and i said this at the beginning i think that the biggest problem with these trilogies with this trilogy is the fact that there is no protagonist there's not a real protagonist it's Kind of Qui Gon Jinn more than anybody else in episode one, but I yeah. bet if you asked George, I bet if you ask George Lucas, he would say that's maybe not the case. He'd probably say it's Obi Wan, and then you'd you'd probably stuff that back and be like, no, that's not that's he. From right.
1: I've seen interviews He's where not. he says the main character of all of Star Wars is Anakin, like it's always Anakin's story. Is it a discovery? That's a rough sell. It's, it's the, dis- it's the discovery, the rise, the fall, and redemption of Anakin Skywalker is the is the Star Wars story.
0: Well, if that's true, that's not done well. Cause I, it, I agree cause with you. The,
1: I agree with you. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you, I'm just repeating what I heard in an interview, yeah. just for perspective.
0: If, if we're talking about doing like a rewrite. I would say if that's the case, start. The movie needs to start kind of like it did with Ray on Tatooine with Yeah, Anakin, and make him older. Like you
1: give, give me 15-year-old, 16-year-old Anakin. Have them show up from the stars, right? We don't know what's going on with them. We're, we're following Anakin as he's like living his life on Tatooine being a slave, doing cool, you know, minor jedi shit but he doesn't know he's a jedi right and then yeah man when you get to this culminating moment where we finally have like an emotional connection to a villain don't slice him in half
0: immediately and be like i guess we'll have to have another villain for the next movie you know what i mean yeah and then and then it goes on to episode two with you got count dooku who is again is is effectively a one movie villain because he immediately dies in episode three So you really never have a true driving force of antagonism, which is a huge issue with this trilogy. Um, There's so many different ways you could go with this film. And I I do want to save kind of some of the rewrite elements to the very end, but an easy, easy win, like you said, is to make Anakin older and to either, if it was the focal point of Anakin, if you have him on Tatooine and then, then that ship flies down and that happens in the first like 10 minutes of the movie, how cool would it be that he meets what he thinks is just a keeper's maid or a, a handmaid who ends up being a queen of Naboo? Like, that's a pretty cool plot twist element, right? Um, that could have been really neat. I agree with you in saying that I think that Darth Maul's death was probably the the single worst thing. If if not that, it was the fact that I, th- I think Obi-Wan should have been shadowed more in this film. And then, as I've pointed out, <clears throat> which I'll continue to say throughout all these movies— dog you cannot let george lucas write dialogue he's so bad at writing dialogue he's so bad because in these movies you'll notice there's a pattern of every single scene every single thought it's just characters talking about what they're going to do and then it happens there's no emotion there's no subtext ever it's just they're all flat robots saying exactly what they want to do in the next scene and then and then they either accomplish it or they don't so i think you got to you gotta, compl- I mean, whatever you do with the plot, if you were to rewrite these, you gotta say somebody else has to be in charge of the dialogue. If all you did in these is keep the plot points the exact same and just have it acted differently and have the the dialogue different, I think it would have been significantly better. But with, with it being what it is, this movie is like a, it's a legitimate like three out of ten. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I said this in our group chat, it's
1: so hard for me to accurately rate this film because like if I saw it as an adult in a vacuum, it's definitely like a 3 of 10. If it's not Star Wars and I saw it when I was 25, I probably would never have seen it again and yeah. I would barely remember it. The fact that I saw it when I was 10 years old and I was such a huge Star Wars fan, dude, like it's it's hard to even for me to even communicate how big a deal Star Wars was to me when I was 10 years old. I remember when they showed Star Wars on TV when I was like 8 or 9, and my mom came in. To, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was in my room. We lived in Denver. I was playing with Legos on the floor in my room. And my mom was like, hey, you got to clean up your room if you want to watch uh, Star Wars tonight. And I was like, what's Star Wars? And she was like, you're going to love it. And this was like back in the old days of television. So it was like an event. So like on Wednesday night, they sh- or no, Friday night, they showed A New Hope uncut, no commercials. Saturday night, they showed Empire Strikes Back. And then Sunday they showed Return of the Jedi. And that was the first time. So I had to wait a full day every time to watch the next one. And I was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I didn't know they made movies this fucking cool. And so that was the pretext under which I came into Star Wars, and so I love just the concept of Star Wars so much that literally this movie, I was just like, yeah, it's more Star Wars, so it's awesome. Like, it's so it rules. Yeah, it's it's definitely an objectively bad movie, but I think that between the nostalgia and now knowing how bad Star Wars can be with, like, Rise of Skywalker, I'm going to give it a conservative 6.5 out of 10 because of the fond memories and knowing what could have been <laughs> how bad it could have gotten
0: yeah if somebody in a vacuum said i think it's a 6 out of 10 and they hadn't seen it in a long time and and all they remembered was the pod racing and then the last 20 minutes cuz the last 20 minutes has some really cool action like I'm telling you man fight.
1: Duel of fates like the, the 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 lightsaber battle with Duel of fates playing the
0: oh no, is rad it kicks ass still it holds but again that's what george lucas does well it's 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 world building it's action but everything else character dialogue subtext anything that really creates a great story great it's it's pretty much ass in this movie um
1: yeah and even at the end of this movie like so we didn't get all the way to the end but like they he kills he kills darth maul they force the trade federation to uh, surrender and Gunray new Gunray is arrested by the Republic Palpatine is, has been elected Chancellor he comes back to Naboo to be like oh good job guys Master Yoda promotes Obi-Wan to the rank of Jedi Knight and as Qui-Gon was dying in Obi-Wan's arms he's like you need to make Anakin an apprentice which we again like I don't know that like the, the council said no I don't know if you show yeah. up and you're like hey Qui-Gon died as a result of like you know, being too involved in this mission. Like, he said he really wanted the kid to be trained. I don't know if they're going to relent and be like, oh, okay, bet. He died, so yes, now. We no longer think this kid is a galactic threat and danger to the entire Republic, but they say yes to that. And then they're at the funeral for Qui-Gon, a Star Wars-style funeral where they always burn the body, and they're contemplating the fact that there's always two Sith, so they killed one, there's got to be another one. And they establish peace then you see Padme give this gift to Boss Nass and they're like you know establish peace with the Gungans so they try to wrap up all the threads and the only one they really want left out there is that like all of this was part of the grand plan by Darth Sidious like his his, his ends were accomplished and that leads us into Attack of the Clones which is the worst named movie and also has some fucking bizarre plot decisions in, this, in the second one so it, get, it only gets weirder until the very end I, I love Revenge of the Sith So that one I will say is a right spot, but Attack of the Clones is another one that has some very
0: strange decisions made in it. It does. My closing thoughts on The Phantom Menace, I said this earlier, if you were to rewrite this, I would totally do without literally all of it. I would, you either create a slightly different background for Anakin and you introduce him in the first five minutes of of the first, the true first trilogy and he's 14, 15, right? Maybe he's on Coruscant. Maybe he's like, Somehow they run into him there, right? Maybe he is from Tatooine, and maybe the movie starts in Tatooine. I, I don't know. Which, but there's...
1: Uh, agreed, because if you think about this, okay, we know eventually Luke and Leia are born to Darth Vader. Darth Vader's children are squirreled away by Yoda and Obi-Wan and hidden. They hid Luke on Tatooine where Anakin's from? That makes no fucking sense. You know what I mean? Like, You'd think they would hide Luke in some place Vader would never look, right? Right. They chose literally the only planet other than like Coruscant that we know Anakin's been to. Deciding to make Anakin be from Tatooine is so lazy. Like They just didn't want to create another environment. They were like, nope, desert planet, ice planet, swamp planet, city planet. That's what we got. We're sticking with it. Those are the planets.
0: Well, and I think part of it is that they they wanted to give a fan service. Oh, yeah.
1: When they said we're going to Tatooine, the theater was like, oh, I kn- familiarity. I know what Tatooine is. Lit. Job
0: of the Hut. Yeah. And it's a crazy decision to give Luke not only back into the planet that Anakin is from, but from a guy that Anakin has actually met. Anakin has met Ben, remember? Yeah. Or yep. Owen or whatever. Yep. I, I'm, I guess yep. not Ben. Owen Lars. Owen. Yeah. He's met Owen. The fact that you gave him to somebody that Anakin has met is crazy. That would be like if I was trying to like if I was like trying desperately to hide
1: something from you and I gave it to Ben. It's just it'd be like oh well that wasn't <laughs> like I that's probably like a like life or third. death thing. If, yeah, I'd be like a life that, or death thing. Sam's like that's like the maybe the second or third person I'd ask, like your wife, your parents, then probably Ben. Like,
0: <laughs> like if I had to if I had to like go through this. It's absolutely insane logic. So let's uh let's move on to our number two film, uh, Revenge... Uh, Attack it? of the Clones. Attack of, Attack of the Clones, which is, which, is a cool, which is a interesting name. Well, that's it for episode one of our Rewrite the Prequels of Star Wars series. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please like and subscribe and give us a follow. We greatly appreciate that. But most importantly, tell two friends. And be sure to join us next week for part two of this series where we go over Attack of the Clones and then we start getting into Revenge of the Sith and our rewrite ideas. As always... This is Sam with Novel Discourse, we'll see you next time.